Well, good morning, friends. Once again, how are you doing today? It's Easter. It is Resurrection Sunday. We are so glad uh, that you're here. There's so much to celebrate. Jesus, the tomb was empty. Jesus rose from the grave, and that is why we are here this morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you. We're glad that you're here this morning. So, uh, we lived in South Carolina for a number of years. Uh, we lived in an area called Bluffton. If you've ever visited Hilton Head Island, Bluffton is the last area that you drive through before you cross over the bridge into uh, Hilton Head Island. That's a vacation spot for many people. And so what ended up happening is we purchased a home there in the area. I was in the military, and so that's what took me to the area. Uh, but in that area, the, the buildings were being thrown up, houses and developments were coming in and coming in quickly, and so you could actually have a new home built for you much cheaper than you could go and look for something existing. And so we spent the three months planning, and, and then all of a sudden our house, boom, there it was. But if you know my background at all, I grew up in the country here in western New York, about 60 miles south of here, a little town called Arcade. Uh, we went and visited yesterday and got our pancakes and syrup, so I got my arcade uh, visit in uh, this year. Uh, but it would be fitting for us that this area that we moved into, this new development that we moved into, was called the farm at Buckwalter. And so when we pulled into our subdivision, many of your subdivisions have cul-de-sacs and they have traffic circles and things like that. Every one of the traffic circles that you would come through would have some type of farm machinery in the traffic circle. There would be a grain silo or there would be a, a little tractor, an old tractor that would be sitting there. Or there would be just all this different farm equipment and made us feel, made me feel at home in this subdivision in South Carolina. So what ended up happening is spring break. All of our friends that we barely knew would all of a sudden call us up and say, hey, we, we learned that you uh, live in South Carolina. We want to come and visit you. Uh, and then they would stay at the farm at Buckwalter with us. And um, we would go to work and during the day. And there was a community pool there in the, in the development. And so uh, it also made me feel at home. The community pool, the uh, the community center was, an, was built to be a big red barn. And so you had this big red barn next to the pool and it was just a beautiful spot. Anyway, so our friends would come and they'd visit and they'd stay for a week and they would lay next to the pool for a week while we went back and forth uh, to work because they enjoyed coming and spending time with us, I'm sure, uh, so much. So they would come and visit uh, we would have a number of people come over and use our, our new home and use our, our community pool. I mean, that would happen often. But as we got to know people in the area, we got to know some people in our church, uh, we decided to have uh, people over as much as we could uh, Sunday afternoons uh, after church. And there was one spring, and I'm not sure uh, whether it was Easter Sunday, but it was for some reason we decided to have everyone over to the house. And so uh, we were going to be grilling in the backyard. Uh, you, it was bring your own steak. So you bring your own meat, and then we will, you know, the grill will be open, and you make your own steak. And we had a good time together doing that. And so uh, it was just a beautiful spring day, and the kids are playing out in the street. We didn't have our own kids yet, but the neighborhood kids are out in the street playing and throwing the football back and forth and just on skateboards and bicycles and everything you think of. We were at the end of a cul-de-sac. We had a number of people who would come over for the afternoon, so we kind of took up the whole cul-de-sac where all the cars were parked in a circle around the cul-de-sac. And two of the neighborhood boys, uh, while we were eating and while we were enjoying one another's company, uh, they set up in the center of the cul-de-sac a uh, cinder block and a board, 
and a, it was a bike ramp uh, so that they were going to be able to go down, ride their bike over this sweet jump, and land it in the middle of the cul-de-sac. How many guys have done this before? Gentlemen, you know what I'm talking about? There's good ways to build a jump, and then there's bad ways to build a jump. You have to have the right equipment for the job. So these guys set up uh, the jump. They went over it a few times, and then one of the boys, uh, there was, in this situation, there was like two little boys and then one boy who was twice their size but the same age. Do you know what I'm talking about, how that happens sometimes? He, he was probably called Tiny. Um, but he, he went all the way down to the stop sign and turned around and came rocking back full speed as hard as he could go to hit the bike jump. And when, when he went over that jump, we don't think, we, our friends and family that were there looking out the window watching this happen, I don't believe he ever hit the ground before he hit the side of my friend's Dodge Ram pickup. I mean, he launched himself off of this thing. And so my buddy Austin, he goes outside to go to check and make sure that this kid's okay. And he's, he comes around the corner and he had like the Dodge Ram pickup with the big tires and the jack. He had everything all set. And he came around the corner of that truck and the imprint of this kid is in the side of his truck. And he's kind of getting up, stumbling up. And he made an impact that day without question. So as he gets up, he says, I think I need to go get my daddy. And we said, yeah, I think you do. Looking at the side of this vehicle, there's going to be some insurance companies involved and different things like that. And so he headed back inside to get his dad. So this morning, I'm going to talk about the church having an impact. And just like this chubby little kid running into the side of our vehicle, our friend's vehicle, there was significant evidence that impact had happened uh, that day. So the boy gets up. He's a little wobbly. I want to tell you the rest of the story. He goes up the driveway. He goes to get his dad. And as he's about three quarters up the driveway, Austin notices him lean down, pick up his helmet off of the driveway, put it on <laughs> to go tell his dad what happened. Doesn't that seem a little bit late in the process? Have you ever felt like it was a little bit late in the process for you? Dads are probably more guilty of this than moms just because you're better people than us. How many of you have served milk to your kids for breakfast that was a little bit late, a little bit chunky, a little extracurricular stuff going on inside of there? Men, uh, we're guilty of having a man cold and thinking that this is the end, it's over. Our wives can get a cold and they can keep everything going and get all of life continues on. They've got a 104 degree temperature and things are fine. And we hit 98.7 and we think that this is our last night on planet Earth. It's too late for me. On a more serious note, some of you may be here this morning and you look at your marriage and you say, it's too late. I'm not sure if there's anything that can resolve this rift between us. It's too late. I, I, I mean, I'm here at church this morning, but it's too late for us. Or maybe, maybe you've looked at a job change that you know that you need to make, a life situation that you know you've been in an unhealthy situation, you need to make this change, but it's too late to make the change. I've put too much time and too much effort in this place of employment. I can't make the change now. It's just a little bit 
too late. Well, if you look at where we are this morning, uh, you may be sitting here without hope, thinking that you have no options. It's a little bit too late. And if you learn anything from Resurrection Sunday, in Jesus' terms, in Jesus' environment, it is never a little bit too late. Do you understand what was going on? His disciples, his people, the people that were standing around, they all thought it was too late. It was over. The grave had been sealed. It had been closed. It had been stamped. That It was over. It was done. But it was not too late for our Jesus. It's never too late. And here's the good news for you this morning. If you are here without hope today, it is not too late. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen. And Jesus came to bring you life so that you can have a life change that happens for the rest of your life. It is not too late for you, friend. It is not too late for you, for your life and all of eternity. That is the basis, the root of the gospel. The gospel transforms lives, and the church makes impact when it communicates the gospel. If you take out your bulletins this morning, there's a white sheet of paper in there. It has an outline that will help you see where I'm going with the message this morning. There will be fill-ins for you as we go. So if you get a pencil and and mark this in, this is your first fill-in, and I just said it this morning. The gospel transforms lives lives. Do you believe that this morning? The gospel transforms lives. Craig Rochelle is a pastor. He's an author. And he uses this illustration. I think it's one of the strongest illustrations to talk about transformation versus confirmation. We believe that we are transformed by the gospel. It says if you take a Nerf football, you can cram it together. You can conform it to whatever image you want it to be. You can cram it and stick it in a glass if you want. And it looks like a glass as long as it's in that container. But if you reach in and pull it back out, what happens? That Nerf football does what? It pops back into the shape of a Nerf football. See, we are not talking about being conformed by the church or being conformed by the gospel or being molded into something we don't want. No, we're talking about literally being transformed into something entirely different. (coughs) The gospel transforms lives. The church makes impact when it proclaims the gospel. The church makes impact when it proclaims the gospel. We're beginning a new sermon series today. We're opening up the book of 1 Thessalonians. The reason why we're going to 1 Thessalonians is this. Paul is on a missionary crusade throughout the whole known world to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And guess what? People's lives were being transformed. People's lives were being changed. But the background of the book of 1 Thessalonians is this. When Paul founded the church... We read in Acts chapter 17, when Paul starts the church and founds the church, the people uprise against him, those who didn't like what he was talking about. They throw him into prison, and then when his bond was paid, the men who paid his bond were then under, under critical need. And so during the night, Paul and the rest of his troop are snuck out of the city and away from Thessalonica. And then he writes these letters back to the Thessalonians, this church that he started. 
lives being transformed, a church that would have impact. And specifically, we're going to this book because as far as we know, it is one of the first or second letters written in the New Testament. The first books written in the New Testament, written around 50 to 51 AD. That's even before some of the Gospels were penned. So this is some of the earliest manuscripts we have of where the church came from, how they were living out this Gospel, and what was going to go on there. This is the earliest pictures we have of the Christian church in 1 Thessalonians, and that's why we want to see how the Gospel changed lives. You see, Paul was forced to leave them. He had to leave during the night for his own safety and for the safety of those who were around him. But Paul never forgot them. They were always on his mind. And I don't know how good you are about this. I, I, I have to admit that I'm not very good at this. I've lived in a few different places in my life. And, and when you go into those situations, you walk into a church or you walk in and you go, I know you from somewhere and I just can't put the pieces together. I know you, but I forgot you. Paul never forgot these people in Thessalonians, and we'll see that in a few minutes. He sends Timothy, his young apostle, he sends him to find out about them. He writes this letter in response to encourage them in their faith. Why? Because the gospel transforms lives, and the church makes an impact. This church was going to have tremendous impact in Thessalonica when it proclaims the gospel. Little kids love to play the game, connect the dots. If you go to a restaurant this afternoon or anytime, I mean, generally speaking, if they have some type of kid's uh, piece of paper to draw on, to doodle on, there's always a connect the dots uh, situation that comes together. And if they're the numbered version and the kids draw all over, you, you start to see the picture starts to make sense. First of all, you see there's all these little dots, but if you trace the thing in and you start to follow along, what happens? A picture comes into focus. Now, this First Thessalonians series is, is beginning today, yes, but I want to be able to open up and actually connect some of the dots of where we are going, how we're going to get there this morning. So today we're going to start over here. We're going to connect the dots from when Jesus rising out of that grave and being victorious over sin and over death. We're going to connect the dots over to where the church now has impact. We're going to make those dots connect. And just like for a little kid who all of a sudden the picture starts to become real, I hope that this morning the picture starts to become real. It makes more sense of why it is that the church is what the church is. It applies to our understanding of God's word, this connecting of the dots. And it also applies to God's plan for the church as the series is titled, Until Jesus Returns. You see, the resurrection is about Jesus raising from the dead, but it's also about his return one day. So if you're following along in your notes, let's fill that filling in. There are four ways to make impact until Jesus returns. Four ways to make impact until Jesus returns. If you get out your Bibles this morning... I'll be in the newer international version. That's what's in our pews. So you've got a black uh, Bible there in front of you if you want to use that. We are moving, beginning to start in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. It's page 1107 in that black Bible if you're using that one. If not, follow along. Uh, you were able to use uh, your phones, your tablets this morning if you want. U version, find your way there. Uh, Luke chapter 24. You can be on Instagram and your pastor will think that you are reading your Bible, okay? Don't do that. 
Four ways to make impact until Jesus returns. Here's your first fill-in. Number one, hear what Jesus said. Hear what Jesus said. (coughs) Luke 24, beginning in verse 5. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. This is what he told them. The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners to be crucified. And on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. Now, some of your Bibles have the red letters of Jesus are highlighted, and you'll see that as he quotes him there, those, that sentence, that verse, seven going, that verse 7 quote is in red letters. These are the words that Jesus said. Jesus told them exactly what was going to happen. Yet, when they got to the grave that morning, when they came to the tomb, they come running up on the tomb. They are fearful. They are astonished. They lay down because there's something different going on. And Jesus said, I told you that this was going to happen. And those angels, they said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you in the cemetery looking for your risen Lord? He is not here. He is risen. Just like he told you. One of the things we talk about in our office when it comes to communicating things to the church is that a message received is different than a message sent. Message received is different than a message sent. So we can put out an email blast. We can send text messages. I can say something from the pulpit. Perfect example. Friday evening was the Good Friday service that began at 6 o'clock. And yours truly, your pastor, came up here last week during the announcements and misspoke and said that the Good Friday service began at 6.30. And so during the Good Friday service, we had a pretty good attendance. And at 6.30, all of a sudden, miraculously, we had more people come to the church. (laughs) Even though we sent out a number of messages throughout the week, emails, communications, Facebook posts that said, hey, we we screwed up. It's at six o'clock. It's our fault. That message was not received, even though that message was sent. When we say, hear what Jesus said, Jesus, when he finished a parable, often would say, let him who has ears, let him hear. Listen, pay attention. We've got a four-year-old in the house. So when you tell your four-year-old what to do, how to respond, and you can tell some of the, but you tell your four-year-old, you say, I I want you to pick this thing up. And you start to say, when you pick this up, then you may receive whatever you're asking for. Daddy, I want a cheese stick. When you pick up your toys, then you can receive a cheese stick. Did you hear me? And usually your four-year-old, if you've got one that's this young, they will tell you, yes, I heard you. I didn't want to do it. Hear what Jesus said. The Son of Man must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again. Then they remembered his words. If we are going to have impact, we have to hear, to listen to what Jesus has said. We dig into God's word again and again and again with fresh eyes, with fresh ears so that we can do what? So we can listen to what he's already demonstrated, already told us, already taught us. Will you make impact if you hear what Jesus 
said. Secondly, believe what Jesus taught. Believe what Jesus taught. The women come to the tomb that morning. They are astonished by what they see, and they run back. They run back, and they tell the rest of the disciples what they have heard and what they have seen, and the disciples are so excited. Peter and the young uh, Jonathan, they run. (coughs) They run back to the tomb, and they get there, and they see the same thing, and they tell everyone what they have experienced. And then we get this passage in Luke. After all of that has happened, we see Jesus go for a stroll, And and those of you who have heard what's called the swoon theory, the idea that they accidentally, when Jesus was was, uh, put on the cross and crucified on the cross, that they buried him accidentally, and three days later he woke up and shook it off. Look at this. Jesus went out for a 5K that morning. He made his way over to the road to Emmaus. Someone who has just kind of swooned their way through. Come on. He, he makes his way to Emmaus. He walks. Because why? Because he has been transformed. He is alive. Beginning in verse 20, Jesus asks these men, hey, what's the word on the street? What do you know about Jesus? And they tell him, this is what's been going on. They say, are you crazy? Have you not heard this? Are you from a different town? Verse 20, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They thought he was the Messiah, the one they had waited for. They thought that he was going to overthrow the Roman government. They thought he was the one. And what is more, today is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. This morning they went to the tomb early but didn't find his body. They came and they told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was, what, alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. Look at Jesus' response in verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And in the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning who? Himself. Believe what Jesus taught. Jesus says, this has been taught for you. All the scriptures point to Jesus Christ. Last year, we spent some time in a series called The Long Story Short. We made our way from Genesis to Revelation, and all those stories point back to who? To Jesus. And so he's on this road to Emmaus. He's walking with these disciples, and he's explaining for them, and they, they describe the experiences. Didn't our hearts burn within us? Jesus makes his way through. I'm sure he talks about Adam and how Adam was, was designed and created in the likeness of God. But there was a problem in the garden. When sin entered, there would need to be a savior. And he talked about Noah and how Noah was rescued from sin and from death with his family. And he was put in this ark. And, and God told him that there would not be any 
any, any way that the earth would be destroyed again by a flood. And there was this rainbow in the sky symbolizing the one who would come. And then there was Abraham and the way that he was told to put Isaac on the offer, offer Isaac as a, as a sacrifice. But he was rescued. He was delivered, that there was a lamb caught in the thicket. Why? Because he was not going to have to be the rescuer. There would be one who would come to rescue his people. King David rules and reigns. He knocks down Goliath. He becomes this mighty warrior, the king that they had all been waiting for. But Samuel warned the people. He said, a king will fail you. You need to wait for the king, the Messiah, the one who will come. And sure enough, king after king after king failed their people, waiting for the one. From the beginning, with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. These men knew the scriptures, but did they believe? Knowing and believing are two different things. Believing means that you step forward in faith, knowing that what you believe is going to drive what you do. How foolish you are, he says. How slow to believe. So this has been in print for 400 years. All that the prophets had spoken. We've had God's word for 2,000 years. Would Jesus look at you on a walk this morning and say, how slow you are to believe. How long is it going to take? Did not the Messiah suffer all of these things and then enter his glory? Didn't he do all of this for you? Believe what Jesus taught. Thirdly, trust who Jesus is. Trust who Jesus is. You'll need to turn over a few pages to Acts chapter one. This is where we begin to connect the dots from Jesus in that morning, that resurrection morning. Now we're in the book of Acts, chapter 1, page 1139 in those black NIV Bibles. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. They are standing around him. The disciples are all gathered around him, it says. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So now Jesus has rose from the dead. He's standing there with his disciples and saying, you are unstoppable. There is nothing that can slow you down. Is today the day that you are going to redeem and free Israel from the oppression that we are under? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jer Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And after this, he was taken up before the very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They thought that this was going to be his coronation day, the day that he was going to announce that they were going to take over, but instead he was taken up. And they were looking intently up into the sky. Wouldn't you look intently up into the sky? If the person that was with you, that had led you, this visionary leader, this Messiah, suddenly went up, I would be looking up too. Oh my goodness. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going. Suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? Doesn't it sound similar to that morning? 
Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you standing here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. Trust who Jesus is. This same Jesus, this one that you have been with, the one who went into heaven, the one that you just saw ascend into the sky, into thin air, he is Jesus. He will come back in the way you've seen him go into heaven. Live this way until Jesus returns, the way he told you that you were going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Live in that way until he returns. Trust who Jesus is is. And then lastly, turn your pages over then to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, page 1237. So we've been reading most of our passages from the author Luke. Luke writes his gospel. He, he, he dictates, writes everything down the way he knows to be the gospel of Luke, to be knows the story of Jesus Christ when he's alive on the earth. He dictates it. He writes it all down as well as he can. And then the, the gospel uh, transitions into this book of Acts that we know these are the acts of the early church. This is how the church was lived out. And as I talked to you about in Acts chapter 17, we see the way that Paul interacts with uh, this church at Thessalonica. And then Luke is traveling with Paul. Paul who is going to be shipwrecked, Paul who is going to be thrown into prison, Paul who is going to go through all kinds of trials, and Luke is traveling with him and, and is his scribe and writing down these letters that he is sending to the churches. He's delivering them in the hand of Timothy, and so Luke is writing down 1 Thessalonians on behalf of Paul. And we hear from Luke, number four, let his message ring. Here's how Luke starts it. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're the authors. Luke is writing it for them. To the church of Thessalonians, in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Now as time has passed, as we connect the dots, what binds them together is their belief and trust in who Jesus is. The, the, the life that they saw Jesus live now as the disciples has transformed them. They are living because of the gospel entirely differently. And it's what binds them in this early church together. <coughs> Excuse me, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Paul has not forgotten about the Thessalonians. They are under tremendous persecution and trials and suffering. We remember before our God and our Father. Underline this, your work produced by faith. Firstly, secondly, underline your labor prompted by love. And then thirdly, your endurance inspired by hope. In who? In our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I talked during our welcome this morning, our church stands for three things. Upward in Christ, inward in the church, outward in the community. Look here in this passage, the way that that demonstrates itself. Your work produced by faith. Who is that faith in? Upward in Jesus Christ. Secondly, your labor prompted by love. Who do you love? The, the community that you are serving with, the church. Your labor, you're working together, prompted by love. And then thirdly, your endurance inspired by hope. 
going out and knowing that there is hope that Jesus Christ will return one day. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You see the dots start to connect. That's what Jesus said when he was ascended into heaven. He said that there would be power through the Holy Spirit for you to go. You know that we lived among you for, our, for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Verse eight, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Talk about a church that has impact. Let his message, let the gospel ring. Now this morning, in order to help illustrate this point, I want to use a few things here in the church, and Nick's going to help me out this morning. We have a unique situation here as a church that we have a bell in the bell tower. In 1861, this bell was commissioned for Randall Baptist Church. 1861. Then they loaned it to the fire department, and they never gave it back. Nobody knows what happened to the bell. So, in 1878, we commissioned a second bell, which is now in the bell tower. First it was on Cayuga Road, and now it is here, 1878, the new bell. And it's inscribed on the side of it. Someday you can climb up in the bell tower and see it. I've seen it. It says, let him that hears say come. Do you hear the bell ringing? The message continues to ring. The gospel message continues to go forth. The church that has impact. Let me take this a step further. Up here behind me, it's here every week, there is a pipe organ. Now, a pipe organ, for those of you who know what a pipe organ is, is a little bit different than a regular everyday organ. This is a big part of our church. We don't play it every Sunday because we don't have an organist. Doesn't mean that we're mad at the organ. We just don't have an organist to be able to play it week in, week out. For those of you who are uh, mechanically minded, a pipe organ is a fantastic instrument. In the old days, you used to have an organist would play, and in your home, you'd have a second person would run the bellows next to the organist so that they could do it. The larger churches would have the organist on the first floor, and down in the basement, there would be a little bell that the organist would ring, and some poor soul down there would have to start pumping the, the, be the bellows and keep pumping it until the organist rang the bell and said, okay, you can stop. It's a tough job. Now back here on the side, there is a room. It's the size of a room that has this huge fan in it that just spins and spins and spins. And when that air comes blowing through, these pipes, the size of these pipes is what determines the sound that comes out of each one of them. Can you hear the air start blowing through the pipes? You see, when the message rings, Everything has to be working together. 
the church must be working together. When we see in the book of 1 Thessalonians, the church that is going to ring out the gospel until Jesus comes, they were all working together. If you look up here, there are no volume knobs. There are no controls that turn things up and down. It all has to do with the amount of air that comes through this thing. If you look up there to the top left, if I play a note here, and I'm going to do that just now, the sound begins to come out of this organ. Sound gets louder from the organ as more doors open and more sound. So behind those doors back there, as I push these pedals, those doors actually open to allow more sound to come through. Do you see that? How all things have to work together in order for the message to ring? Now, it's not common for an organ to have bells in it. Somebody upgraded this organ when they first put it together. Now, as the sound grows and starts to swell, there are a number of pipes that are added. Some of those larger pipes up at the top, those things are almost 15 feet long in the size of a trash can. Imagine how much air there has to be in order to get the sound to come through that. We let his message ring. the reeds begin to play. It's a different style where there's actually something wooden blowing in there. We've got the bells that come together. This instrument is putting together, letting his message ring. 